Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walcha, founder of Cali Barbecue and Cali Barbecue Media. Every business needs to be digital first, and every business needs to be in the hospitality business. We have been doing this podcast since 2017, and one of the things that we love the most is that we get to interview the greatest minds, greatest thinkers, but more importantly, the greatest doers in digital hospitality. Today, we have the founder of GoTab, Tim McLaughlin. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Sean. So it's not rare, but it seems to be rare that an entrepreneur finds a problem in one industry and jumps to another industry. Bring us to the problem. Bring us to the the idea. What were you uh, doing and how did it how did it come about? Okay. Oh, since we have a little bit of time, I'm gonna give the little longer version. Not give the, me the long oh, version. This is long okay. we so okay. one of the yeah this is a, a podcast. The reason we do the podcast is long form stories always are better. We'll cut it, we'll cut it for for short form so that people across TikTok and LinkedIn can get the uh the abbreviated answers. But let's uh let's give our one thing I love about our listeners is that they're always in for a good story. So so give it to us. Cool. Well, I'll give you my story. Uh so I I'm, a, I'm an engineer, but I've been writing software since I was a kid. And um, so I intended to go into software and robotics, ended up going into e-commerce because I graduated college in 2000. Um, and I did e-commerce and content management in the sort of a consulting to the Fortune 500 companies for 12 years. And I ended up building a, a digital agency of a couple hundred people. Um, wow. And we did consulting for... Uh, brands across the United States uh, or global brands, actually. In the hospitality business, uh, Mandarin Oriental was one of my clients globally. Wow. Uh, we launched their website in 13 languages. So I did that for 12 years, uh, grew into seven offices. And even though we're headquartered in DC, most of our clients were Chicago, San Fran, uh, New York, LA, um, and ultimately sold, sold that company. So um had enough of it it was fun but wanted to do something else what year was that what year did you sell it i sold it in 2012 and so how many employees did you have at the time just under 200 but wow. significant um yeah it was it was good it was a very different world yeah uh, it was the the beginning of web 2.0 kind of the, well the yeah it started we started in 2002 so yeah. basically started out of the ashes of dot com yeah uh, and I remember it was a rough, rough time. The first two, three years, uh, <laughs> convincing people that the internet—it's—it's it's hard still in 2023 to convince yeah. people that the internet's a thing. <laughs> well, but no, I, for real. In, in 2002, like people said, "Oh, yeah, this internet thing—it's—it's kind of like where crypto is now, right?" Yes, it like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's funny. That was a dumb idea. That's not going forward. I mean, I—I I literally had some dude in 2003, I think, laugh at me and say and make some comment about how. Is he, am I going to need his shirt because you know I'm losing mine? Oh, nice! And I was like, dude, I don't, I don't even know you. Yeah. <laughs> so that that's the kind of stuff you would you would get back then. Um, so yeah, we we said, hey, you know, internet's a very valuable marketing tool, and you're going to need a website. And so that's actually what we did for ten years. 2002, we started it and fought our way through to two, 2012. Sold it to a private equity group. Uh, in LA. And um, it was good. It was fun. And I hung on for a couple more years, helped to transition to a new CEO, uh, got involved with some other tech companies, uh, made some small investments in the tech space, because that's that's what I knew. Yep. Um, 
but like my last big client was Goldman Goldman Sachs. We built all wow. their uh, customer. Sorry, they don't use the word customer. Client facing portal. So if you're a wealth management client, you log into a system. My my first company uh, designed all those interfaces. And wow. Such. Um, it was a big project, and yeah. it's actually now incidentally their largest business unit. Um, anyway, so did that sort of on a whim a friend of mine said okay you sold your company now what are you going to do and he he said well I'll, i think you should build a bar and i was like yeah i'm <laughs> definitely not, i'm definitely not doing that <laughs> uh, my um, kind of friend right right exactly uh so but what ended up happening is in virginia where i live uh the laws changed around breweries and breweries are allowed to sell direct to consumer out of the tap room and this is when those laws were so, kind of craft brewery laws were changing around the country yep and so you start seeing tap rooms pop up as a thing in Virginia. And that happened in 2012, happened to be the year I sold my company. And I, I'm a cyclist. I live on a bike trail. And cycling and, and craft beer go together really, really well. And it turns out a lot of people who love to cycle love craft beer. And so I kind of said, okay, another friend of my buddy, a friend of mine exited his company and He's like, well, I'll, I'll co-found it with you. And so what ended up happening is I said, well, let's finance this thing. If we can find a space right on the bike trail with the patio, I'll bankroll it. Let's make it happen. So uh, we opened it, became a pretty rapidly a, a go-to place in my town wow. here in Vienna, Virginia. Um, about 2.2, 2.3 million is about 3,000 square feet, including the brewery. Um, it's a full service 2. restaurant. 2.2 million revenue? Yeah, 2.2 yep. annual yep. revenue. Um, we were really focused on on-premise, which was- Yeah, food that, also? Was it food yeah. also? What was yeah, the split? Absolutely. What was the split? About 60, 60% 60. food, 40% beverage. Um, yeah. It would fluctuate some, but we were trying to do something a little higher end than you see on the East Coast. On the West Coast, you see you know places like Stone where they're full service and yep. high quality food and whatnot. You don't see a lot of that on the East Coast. And we uh, were- we're foodies and beverage people. And so we said, well, let's, let's make something that actually has really good food, not just, you know, counter service hamburgers and fries, um, which I will admit was not super well received by the market around here. Um, that's when I learned to hate Yelp, like everybody else in restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> what, wait, what year was this? Bring us to the, what year? This did was, the uh, so we opened the first restaurant in 2015. Okay. So um, I, I was, you know, I was involved, pretty involved, but it was not my only job. I was still working, exiting site works and doing some other tech stuff. Um, in 2015, we opened our doors, quickly realized, you know, we're basically at capacity because uh, you don't do a lot of takeout beer, right? You can, but then you start doing distribution and it's a very different structure than say takeout food. Um, so we're, we're max capacity. We had a parking limitation, a bunch of stuff like that. So we really just couldn't couldn't get any bigger. Um, and then in 2016, a year after I opened, uh, started, I wouldn't, I don't think I even named it yet, GoTab. I think actually maybe I had, um, uh, I actually had now, I think it was trademarked and filed. And, and the goal was, hey, pay your check faster, just so I can get people out of my restaurant faster so that I can get more people sitting down and, and drinking beer, right? That was, that was the goal. Um, so that happened in 2016. It was simultaneous to uh, the breweries and, and the other things. And I was still, I was, I was on it, but I wasn't 150% like I am now on it. Um, and then essentially we start playing with it. We didn't see the uptake. This is pre QR. 
I guess, yep. 2016. QRs didn't become supported on the iPhone until 2017, um, which basically meant they weren't useful in the United States for all practical purposes. Yes. Um, 2017 came around. We're like, okay, see this QR thing coming on the iPhone. Let's try doing payments with QRs. That went over like a lead balloon as well. Like <laughs> less than 3% maybe participated. And that was usually with us cajoling and teaching and signs and stuff like that. So really not a lot of participation. Um, and then simultaneously, uh, because the first brewery was was doing well, we got approached by a developer um, here in the Washington area. And they said, hey, would you be interested in, in building another brewery in this, this area to call the Mosaic District? Um, and we figured out a deal uh, for an, an old warehouse over there. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up financing, okay, well, the first one worked and it's making money. So let's go to the second one. Um, so that, that's all happening. I'm getting more and more intrigued by this GoTab problem and spending my, I'm in probably at hundred percent of my time there, but also opening a second brewery, uh, which opened its doors in 2018. So that was a much larger restaurant. It's mm -hmm. 6,000 feet indoors, but it's actually three stories tall. Oh, so wow. it's a 6,000 foot plate. And then we added in some other floors. So it nets out probably over 6,000 of dining area. Um, and then you also have another 4,000 of patio space. It's about 10,000 square foot. It's like a, it's a full yeah. venue. <laughs> it, it, it is. It, was, it used to be a um, United Rentals warehouse, so a heavy equipment warehouse. So it's uh -huh. 50, 60 foot ceilings. Just a wow. huge, massive metal box. Um, wow. Just a really funny anecdote that any restaurateur would love. We once got a review on Yelp that someone says something to the effect of like, they really did a crappy job of making this place look old and crappy. <laughs> but it actually is old and crappy. It's actually, that, that, that was, we weren't going no, for that. It, like we didn't, do, we didn't do Jack to make it old and crappy. We actually made yeah. it as nice as you could with this 50 year old warehouse. So, yeah. uh, so anyway, we were, it, it was a, a known area. It was this one sort of like last warehouse for this developer that they didn't tear down. Um, and so we turned it into this cool brewery, uh, but we also knew based on our first brewery, because we were, I think, one of the first breweries in Fairfax County. So we had to fight through all kinds of laws to get open. Mm -hmm. um, then we were going to have lines out the door because there just were no, were no breweries around at the time. Wow. Um, so we're like, crap, how are we going to do this? We got three stories of dining area. We got outdoor patio we're almost certainly just going to get buried in lines um and at the last like the day before we had we had started building this qr ordering mm -hmm. i should back up at GoTab in 2017 we saw like qr payments isn't really going i really wonder if we could do qr ordering like they do in china because we've been studying what's going on in the rest of the world um and looking at where people were going with qrs and said well hey qrs are here now now they're supporting the iphone so what does the rest of the world use them for? And so yeah. we were looking at WeChat and Alipay and a lot of the stuff that goes on in Asia. Um, and so we said, you know, maybe maybe people avoid lines and order from QRs like they do over there. Um, simultaneously, the brewery uh, opened its doors in 2018. And like the week before we finished our QR ordering product, and then we decided to simultaneously go cashless because we're like, I don't even know how we're going to manage cash in this place uh, with, with lines piled up. So we went cashless. We deployed QRs. What year uh, was this cashless? 2018. 2018. 
2018 and there's no, nothing in Virginia that prevented you from doing that? It's still, cash, it's still cashless. So if, if there is, I wish. I you're talking about the, the biggest go, I wish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nothing is worse than going to a brick and mortar bank. <laughs> like yeah, this is 1970. It's, it's amazing how much like the amount know, of time and effort it's like, we're, we literally as restaurant owners become a mini bank. We go to the bank to make change and then we come back and then they hand the customer hands us money to make change for them. It's like the stupid well, cycle. It's, <laughs> it's so stupid. It's amazing how much of that cash just manages to disappear between yep. one place and the next. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. It's funny. I, it's just anecdote. I deal with people, operators who really want to do more and more cash. And I'm like, you do know that I know you think you're saving money from giving it to the government. Yeah. But I can assure you your employees are saving a lot of money from making its way to your hands. That's so correct. I'm pretty sure the net net is negative. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, so 2018, we opened our doors in October. Uh, we had QRs on the table as a very last minute, like, hey, let's see if this thing works as a way to like abate the lines. Um, and because um, with both, I basically spent the next three days for 12 hours a day because we were open starting in the morning. It was a breakfast, lunch, dinner till 1 a.m. <laughs> of course so, you were. Because <laughs> you, you didn't have enough going on. You got to do right, three, yeah. four, yeah. four meal services. <laughs> right, yeah. It was crazy. Why not just 24 hours? I mean, why why even close? It was it was pretty close. It was 7 a.m. to 1 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> we did that. We, we were 7 a.m. till, I think we only got till midnight, but that was, yeah. Yeah. The yeah, things, it's not anymore. The things we learned. It's, not anymore. Yeah. it's still it's 7 a.m., but it closes at 11 p.m. because COVID basically yeah. that all in. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, so I stood there for 12 hours, three days in a row, and tried to see what the uptake was firsthand on QR ordering. And yeah. uh, so I walked up and down the line and would start, like, I hate to say it, start profiling people like, okay, can I get this kid to go order from a QR? Can I get this yep. old guy to get, go order from QR? Quickly learned a whole bunch about the demographics of, you know, who would change the patterns, who would, who, who what, what habits uh, people were inclined to. Mm -hmm. um, it was really easy to peel like, the 20 year olds off and say, hey, you know, you can skip this whole line if yep. you go to that table and order in that QR. And mind you, this is a, no one's ever seen this. And in 2018, yep. there were exactly two companies doing this in the United States. One was us and the other was Bebot. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that, that's essentially what we rolled out. Uh, we would see, and I actually have time-lapse videos from back then. Um, we would see that about 60% uh, of all volume on a Friday and Saturday night when there was a big line would go to the QR on the table. It's amazing. Uh, and again, this is 2018. People thought we were totally nuts, but it yep. worked. It worked here because we had these lines and, People like me don't like lines. And so if they can go sit at a table, they will go sit at a table and order on the phone. Why? So let, let's talk about lines because it's, yeah. it's an obsession of mine. And I talk to restaurant owners and not just restaurant owners, but business owners all the time. And just the psychology behind lines. And when you think not just in the restaurant business, but when you go to Walmart or you go to Home Depot, or now you go to the airlines, you know, the kiosk and what the kiosk has allowed people to, if you want to use technology, you can skip the line. If you want to talk to a human, it's going to be more expensive and it's going to take you more time. Can right. you bring, bring me inside the psychology of when you were doing those tests, when you were there for 12 hours, what yeah. were you, what were you seeing as far as a willingness? Because it, when I think of technology, I think of courage and, yep. and a willingness to look stupid. And I think about myself 
You know, when I think about how long it took me to put a credit card on my Apple phone to do Apple Mm -hmm. pay, I try to figure out why did it take me so long? And the reason it took me a long time, because I didn't want to be the idiot in line, holding up the rest of the line, trying to do Apple pay Yep. when I did it. And then now I use Apple pay. I don't want to use anything else. Yep. Can you talk, um, so, talk to me about the, the psychology behind you personally, but yeah. you're a technologist, you're different, yeah, yeah. you're in a different class, well, but the people around you. Well, so let me be a little clearer. So I, I, my prior business was user experience design. So it was half yes. design and half technology. So a lot of our staff, we would design interfaces and we'd think about like, how would people see those interfaces? And yes, read lots of books and theories and, and, and such and studied it and ran labs. Um, so as much as I am a software guy, I also spend a lot of time reading and thinking about usability. Yes. Um, I would say the the thing that I learned from the very first efforts of GoTab to the later efforts around um, QR ordering was that the only real motivator for changing human behavior is pain, pain avoidance. Yes. That's the only way to get people to do stuff. Incentives do not work unless they are like outrageously big and, and no one can afford that. Right. Um, but if if there's pain avoidance, absolutely people will figure out how to do it. Um, so like we tried prior like incentives and discounts and all kinds of stuff to get people to do this stuff. But a big ass line that's going to keep you 20 minutes away from your beer. Well, that's an incentive. That's yes. a real move that will change habit. Um, and so that that's like that's probably priority number one. Whenever I think of can I change habits? Uh, the question is like, where is the pain and where is that pain that I can, that I can uh, use to change those habits? Um, so I, I don't know if that answered your question, um, but that's something I always think about is like, if there's no pain, there's no way you're going to get, you're, you're going to like get people to adopt something. You, you may be able to get some fringe people. Uh, and, and really those are going to be people who are over or, or basically find financial compensation to be worth it. But most people find, you know, peripheral financial incentive, not to be enough to change their habits. And, and the people who candidly are find it compelling are usually the ones who are so poor that they're not going to come spend a lot of money at your place anyway. Um, so it's, I guess that's how I always think of these, these uh, habit forming uh, changes. But I will tell you, I observed a lot of stereotypes uh, that some were true and some were not, uh, yeah. that were they're different from what I expected. Yep. Um, certainly there's, I mean, just to be totally blunt, there was definitely an age correlation. Like yes, um, younger people were happy to do it. Older people were less so. One of the ones that I found very surprising was a lot of the older women were actually super interested in learning how to do it. Um, so it was not uncommon to see a guy with a broken old Android phone that basically only used for phone calls who said, hell no to me. And a wife who pulls out her iPhone, she's like, I want to do it. And then <laughs> I had that happen at least three or four times you know, a day, which the contrast was always funny because you're like, okay, same age, different yes. gender, um, very different response. Um, so you, know, you, never, you never quite know. And I hate to stereotype, but when you do this for a profession, you start observing uh, these trends. Can you bring me into the psychology of the difference in smartphone users from an Android user to an Apple user? Well, I can tell you my old business where we would design these interfaces. Um, it was, it's not even, it's not even a psychology thing. It's a household income. 
yeah. iPhone users have more purchasing power. Um, so when we were designing applications in the United States, if you were trying to make money, if that was your primary goal, then you'd release on the iPhone first because the iPhone users had higher purchasing power. So certainly you're going to go there first. Um, it changes if you get outside the U.S. Android is the dominant platform outside the U.S. And so you have very different demographics of the devices. But uh, in the U.S., if, if you know, that, that's why QR has never worked. And so many people prior to 2017 rationally said, you know, QR suck, but it actually wasn't the QRs. It was actually the iPhone. And because the yep. iPhone yep. is 60% of the market in the U.S. and because it didn't have it built in, QRs did suck because our primary device just didn't do it. Yep. You said 60%. Is that is that what it is? 60%? Yeah. Yep. Correct. Wow. Sorry. Just get that glare out. And what percentage of people have a smartphone device? Are Is there a percentage uh, of people that don't have a connected, uh, that have a phone that's not connected? No, it's it's actually, so that this is another, this is probably dated information, but I can tell you it probably still holds true. Um, is that even people without a household internet connection, so like relative, like something that's relatively expensive, yes, be eighty another hundred dollars a month for your your high speed internet connection, will have a smartphone. Wow. Um, and the reason is is because if you think about the utility of a smartphone, I mean it's it's massive. Just think about how much time saves being able to text and get directions and all these things. It, it like the smartphone is arguably more valuable than many other things in your life, more valuable than a car even. Like knowing, how, to, knowing how, what what bus to take is thanks to you having your smartphone, right? So I mean, we, we talk about it all the time. I, I would rather get stuck and lose my keys as yeah. opposed to lose my smartphone. If right. I have my smartphone, I can do anything. <laughs> right. yeah. If I don't have my keys, I, I mean, if I lose my keys, like, okay, I need to figure out how to get a ride. But like the two things that I always take, it's like my wallet and even my wallet, I'm the wallet is going here. I mean, like literally right. yeah. the wallet is, is going inside of the, so I mean, the fact the, that I'm that even carrying, yeah. I mean, the yeah. fact that it's, uh, do you, do you carry a wallet or do you just keep that? Mine's, mine's got the, you know, the requisite two cards yep. on the back. And after that, that's it. And that's only because not everything supports, you know, uh, uh, Apple pay. Yep. So, uh, inconveniences too. So building GoTab, is there any story or lesson of something that you would have done differently? Something that, that went wrong looking back? I mean, obviously you can't predict a pandemic, but um, yeah. when you're, when you're scaling a company, and something that you believe in, not only from a technology standpoint, but from an operations standpoint. I mean, you, you're you like, listen, dude, it works for me. <laughs> It'll work for you. Um, well, it, it candidly, I would have been wrong had COVID not hit. I don't know that I would have had the staying power, the extra three, four years it would have taken for the U.S. to adopt QRs. Yeah. Um, like, I, I definitely... Uh, let's put it this way. I've had an, I've started seven companies in my life. Mm -hmm. um, for the most part, I've been correct on, you know, the market wanting this solution. Yeah. But I've also shut down two of them because the market didn't want the solution until five years after I, you know, tried to assemble it. Um, so the reality is that, you know, sometimes you can be too early. <laughs> and mm -hmm. in this case, I think I probably was too early. Uh, had... COVID not hit. And so I'm not so 
uh, naive or whatever to believe that that I that was super smart. I was maybe reasonably smart and hell of hell of a lot of luck. Yeah. When so, you when you how how many employees do you guys have? Where are you at? We're about eighty five right now. Eighty five, amazing. Yeah. Um, when you're growing, what do you think is the what is how are you gaining traction? How are you converting people from, I mean, cause the way that I see it, we, we always say on the show, stay curious, get involved, ask for help. You know, mm -hmm. it takes a curiosity. You have to believe in the internet. You have to believe in digital hospitality, what we talk about all the time in real life. We're phenomenal. We, you can't be in business unless you have hospitality in your DNA. It's just, how do you use technology to be better online and to be better omni-channel and you got to partner with technology companies that understand what's going on you know i had noah glass the founder of uh, olo on the show and he talks about this smartphone content commerce communication yes content commerce communication but we think oh well i'm going to open up a restaurant and people are just going to come to my restaurant that's what i thought naively yeah. in 2008 yeah. <laughs> in a terrible location i thought hey if we have phenomenal barbecue people are going to come from all over san diego come and give us money and then the legacy media newspapers everyone's going to write about us we're going to have right. lines and it's going to be phenomenal no didn't happen yeah. so for you for you how do you think about that um so it's funny i i feel like our business is bifurcating in some ways to businesses who want to stay low digital, at least from a consumer perspective. Interesting. Um, so we we actually have a number of deals where the operators have almost no guest facing technology. That really? doesn't mean there isn't a lot of tech going on behind the scenes mm -hmm. in terms of how we run the kitchen or what the POS does, or there's a lot of things that we're doing that really raise the efficiency of the ordering communication production awareness uh, within the, the restaurant. So if you think about it, like there's a really simple, dumb example. Um, I run out of, you know, let's pick something stupid. Let's just say I run out of some appetizer, yeah. right? In a low tech restaurant or actually a fairly typical restaurant, when I 86 it, first off, who's the person who can 86 it? And you, you tell me, let's say you run out of French fries. Yeah. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, but yeah. your, chef, your chef knows or your, your fry cook knows, yeah. right? Um, so how do they take it off the menu? <laughs> they, they have to tell someone. Yeah. So they have yeah. to go find someone. They have to leave expo. Yeah. Run up front, find a manager. Yep. Presumably who has access to log into the POS. So how presumably, much time? Presumably. <laughs> yeah, presumably. <laughs> um, and meanwhile, you got orders still coming in digitally and you got yep. orders still coming in from handheld servers walking around your restaurant Yep. Um, who don't know that you're out of fries. So yep. that's that's a problem. Now you've got how many fries? If you're a high volume place, because we actually started in high volume, right? The first restaurant we, we started was a 10,000 square foot restaurant that was yep. selling thousands of beers a day. Yeah. If you sell if you sell 20 beers that you don't have, that's 20 conversations you now have to have. Yes. And you also have to still go tell all your staff, hey, by the way, we're out of that beer. We're out of those French fries. That's a lot of work. And it's always got, a lot of and work. And you got to comp it off. And it's the worst time, the worst possible time that right. this always happens, right? Or at least that's what it always feels like. Um, so I would say like one of the things we do is you can 86, you can set stock levels and you can set delays on an individual item directly from Expo. So nice. your, your chef knows, boom. 86 the fries directly from that item on the the kitchen i can also then message all the subsequent or later guests if we are digital 
But if we're non-digital, I can also push it to all the P handheld POSs. So all the staff out on the floor is like, oh, shoot, I just saw a French fry. I need to go tell you know those guests over at that table because maybe we're not ordering from QRs. Maybe we're not doing online ordering. And maybe we don't want the guests to know we're, we do have technical underpinnings. Um, so the question is, what is that guest experience supposed to be? Mm -hmm. I mean, because I'll, I'll say it, I, I was somewhere the other day and I was like, I really don't want to pick up my phone, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 that's nice sometimes to have that option. Yep. Then on the flip side, you know, if it's if it's a high volume environment, I know I can't be catered to. I know someone's not going to walk out and take my order. It's not it's not practical. Um, so then I use my phone and or you know maybe our voices in the future. Um, yes. so I just look at all these different environments, but I think there's a lot of tech that can be that can be uh, applied to increase the efficiency to increase the ease of use uh, for in, in the experience, even for the staff, because it's a lot less chaos. Yeah. What gets you excited about the future of, uh, of what you're building? Um, I, I actually get very excited about guests being comfortable having a digital relationship with the restaurant or with a brand um, so that, you know, they, they text message Cali barbecue and say, I want to have my sandwich ready at two. Yep. You say, great. That's, that's with pickles and, and mustard. Right. And Correct. They, and they're like, yep. Great. So the fact that, that you have a continuous, you know, experience with them, whether it's over text or voice or online or whatever, uh, and you already have that so you can save them the effort. It's funny. I think in hospitality, people are like, Oh, it's creepy. I'm like, that's not creepy. That's what Amazon does every single freaking day. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. So why, and especially in an industry that aspires to know its guests, it yes. seems a bit ironic to me that, that they're they're saying, why wouldn't you tell the guest, hey, this is what you ordered last time, or this is a slight variation, or guess what? Here's a new item you haven't seen because we know the last time you were in. Um, I, I think that stuff gets me really excited because as a consumer, I want it. And that's how I think of a lot of these things. You know, I I want I want these solutions. I want them fast. I want them predictable. I want quality maintained. Um, and so that that's what gets me excited, both as a consumer and uh, an engineer. When you think of digital hospitality, what are the brands that you admire? Huh? Boy, I should have thought about that question before this. Um, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned Olo. I mean, I think Olo did a and I just saw them present uh, at a conference. Um, I think they cut a pretty good path. I mean, they they arguably were too early to the market very early that also established their you know it very also established early. their strength yes um and i think you know kudos to them for seeing that there was gonna be a problem here also lucky for them the market realized they were right to some degree uh and they found a path to uh to really move forward with that um and you know i think that's uh someone someone's going to be first and hopefully you always, I always think of the bleeding edge and the leading edge. They were probably yeah. the bleeding edge for a while. Hopefully they're the leading edge now. Um, I do find it curious that uh, Noah keeps talking about QRs uh, yes. in his presentations. And I'm like, why are you talking? Maybe you know the secret to that, but. Well, yeah. Uh, tell me about QRs. What do you think? I mean, you know, I, I, we, we live in the space. We, we have order and pay and, you know, we use toast yeah. in our restaurant and yeah. I talk about QR codes all the time. And <laughs> I was actually, you know, 
back in the day before the Apple update, I was the one that was like, QR codes are dumb because no one's going to download an app to actually use a QR code. And yeah. sure enough, Apple makes the update and it changes everything and the pandemic hits. But right. um, I mean, where do you see QR codes? What is it going to look like? Well, I mean, I, I do think in a lot of ways, QR codes are dumb. That's actually one of the best reasons that they have longevity. Because um, yes. they, they are a <laughs> good point. Uh, I mean, what people don't realize, and I was talking, I heard someone sort of misconstrue what QR codes can do. Um, you see them implement so badly all the time with just a QR code to a menu. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, to a PDF menu, and I'm going, I actually had an operator say, oh, we put QRs on the tables and we saw our sales go down because we took away the menus. We had QRs and I dug in and they're like, yeah, they had a static PDF menu. I'm like, well, you just gave people a really shitty menu experience. Like yes. you give them a little window yeah. to look at a un, you know, uh, not useful. So anyway, um, I think QR codes are, are a tool, a technology. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand that each QR code that we deploy is different. Almost every single one is unique. Yeah. Uh, and that lets us know where they are in space. That lets us know who passed it to you. That lets us know what tab that's related to. Um, and I think that, you know, whether it's a QR, the next generation is going to be NFC because there's a, yep. you know, a, a chip equivalent of it. Uh, that's a little slicker from a consumer. You just tap it. It's the same way that the cards on card readers work. Um, or there's some other solution I've been looking at. Uh, there's some Bluetooth uh, indoor positioning tech that's that's sort of coming out. Um, I think, you know, there's going to be some way where we can position things in space and understand what the consumer attached or the, the user attached to a device, where they are and what they want. Um, so I think QRs are just the step toward that. Um, I will say the thing they have that going for them is they're basically free because there's yes. no patent because there's no technology to buy and you print them on your stupid printer. And that's, you know, one thing we learned on the internet is like HTML was a free standard and it sucked in a lot of ways. Um, and we're still using HTML. Yes. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't think they're going away anytime soon. I, I would love for them to be a little more clever and, a little cleaner and a little less clunky. And I think we'll get there um, and in terms of how we engage with them, not having to scan the camera and fidget around and all that so much. Um, but I, I do think they're going to be around for a while. Do you have any mentors or a story of, of a mentor, something that, that kind of uh, changed your tra trajectory of what you're building? Um, man, my mentor is reality punching me in the face. <laughs> it's a good mentor. <laughs> Um, let's see here. There are definitely a lot of people. I, I, I think I read more than I get to, uh, you know, know these people, unfortunately, yep. like I'm a big fan of, uh, Jeff Raskin. He wrote a book called the humane interface. He was the original designer of the Mac, uh, interface. I found his book to be really, uh, compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, I read a lot of behavioral economics. So, um, all the like anomalies that, that make up humans. Um, so that would be, I, I don't know, all kinds of, I'm going to blank on all the names now that I'm on the podcast, but um, my brother's an economist. So we're frequently, uh, you know, discussing human behavior, either yes. at a statistical level or a psychological level. Um, I think I read a lot. 
Um, I, I wish I'd had uh, mentors, but unfortunately, I started out uh, at Lockheed Martin at my first job and quit within three weeks. Oh, wow. Put me in the wrong job. And then I essentially ended up being an entrepreneur from there on out. So I've never had a lot of luxury uh, mm-hmm. of, uh, of having, you know, people who've been down the road. And I'm also based on the East Coast. Being on the East Coast in the tech business and not being in the government business in the DC area is also kind of puts you in a puts you in a weird spot. Now I'm in the hospitality business in DC, hospitality res tech or whatever this is. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's actually one of my favorite questions. What business are you in? Uh, I, I'm I'm in the uh, you know restaurant technology. Um, I actually look at it larger. I look at it as uh, e-commerce, but yep. everybody in the restaurant world thinks that's weird, and they think I'm speaking in terms of shipping boxes from think, amazon I, I don't think that's weird at all and i think every, um, i don't think not just restaurant owners every, every every small business owner from a coffee shop to a lemonade stand i mean we we all need to have these principles in our business yeah. that, that's the essence of digital hospitality yep. if, you're, if you're not doing it like the e-commerce companies then what are we doing i, I agree I, it just doesn't resonate with a lot of people in fact like if you went back to our early pitch decks for gotab we said we were e-commerce for the real world and what i meant by that was like you're in a physical space together. You should be able to do e-commerce conveniently. Um, right now, e-commerce is very oriented towards boxes in different locations. And um, that did not resonate with anybody along with all the other QR <laughs> ideas I had. And uh, resonates with me. <laughs> <laughs> I should have got the pitch deck. It resonates yeah, with yeah. me. Yeah, cool. Um, um, yeah. So every, every Wednesday and every Friday, for those of you that are listening, uh, we like to say, like we said, stay curious, get involved, ask for help. But we uh, do rooms on the social audio app Clubhouse. So Wednesdays, Fridays, 10 a.m. Pacific time, 1 p.m. Eastern time. We've got some incredible digital hospitality leaders. We talk about sales. We talk about marketing. We talk about entrepreneurship, restaurants, um, content creation. We are all in the creator business. Um, you all need to be your own media company, hence Cali Barbecue Media. Um, but one of the things I'd love for you to do, uh, Tim, is l- let me know who's a shout out for somebody on your team, somebody that's gone above and beyond. It's hard as, as and when we're in the hospitality space, even in the restaurant space, we, uh, you know, we don't do a good job of taking care of ourselves. That's one of the things we talk about a lot on this show is uh, I have to be better as a dad. I have to be better as a husband if I'm ever going to be better as a leader, as a podcaster, um, as a restaurant owner, anything like that. But for you, is there anybody that you'd like to give a shout out to? And and then the second question is, what do you do for self-care besides biking? <laughs> um, I would definitely shout out to uh, Daryush Mansori, my co-founder. Uh, you said I was a founder. He actually was equally, you know, a uh-huh. defender, uh, back in the day. Uh, he came over from uh, our, or my first business. In fact, my leadership team is four of all, all four of the executive uh, people are from my original business. Oh, wow. um, cool. But Daryush was crazy enough to jump in this boat with me and at the very beginning. Uh, and he is just, he is the uh, pillar upon which we were built. So uh, if we wouldn't be where we are, if he weren't, if he weren't making it happen too. And self-care. Um, I would say I, I do as much as I can physically because that's how I stay good mentally. I played soccer yesterday. You know, I'll go biking or I'm actually going for a bike ride after this, which is why I'm doing the, the casual wear. There we go. Um, so I would say that's a big part of it for me is you know, my, it's, well, I maybe shouldn't say this, but I play soccer on Sunday mornings and my wife used to go to church and I was like, well, my church is a soccer field. That's, that's, how, my, that's how my head gets clear. Um, 
So uh, it, it really makes me feel a lot better if I can get out and, you know, connect a great shot with some people and have fun. Absolutely. Um, and where can people learn more about GoTab? Uh, our, our website has a lot on it, although honestly, it, there's so many weird things that we do. Uh, I would say get a demo if you want to actually know, because even like the 86 thing, all, all the stuff I touched, that's like one of 40 things that we do that nobody else in the industry does. Um, so demos, you'll probably learn it because you kind of need to see it in motion. Uh, so if you wanted the detailed, uh, get a demo, but the website will have a lot of information at gotab.com. And then is GoTab going to have a presence at any of the big industry trade shows or how do you guys, how do you feel about trade shows? Because we're trying, we're trying to revolutionize. They need to be better in our opinion. There are yeah, some they, good ones out there, but they definitely could be better. Um, we spent a lot of money on trade shows over the last year. We're yep. going to spend less money this year because yep. a lot of them weren't worth it. Yep. Um, there are some specific ones that are worth it for us uh, in, in our business in particular. Um, but it's probably 30% of the ones we went to last year, maybe yeah. 40. Um, there, there's definitely got to be a better way. Uh, we're, our biggest challenge with our product is getting in front of people. Yeah. Um, because you've got, you know, the very large multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we believe we have a better mousetrap, at least for some certain very, you know, for a lot of cases. But if we don't even get a chance to swing at it, people just buy the default. And uh, it's it's a hard problem. That's actually maybe the bigger problem we're facing now is like getting market awareness without spending a billion dollars. Yep. Well, it's a challenge for for all of us. But we, as we say on the show, um, you know, we believe in storytelling and you coming on here and sharing your expertise and what you're building, why you're building it. Um, it means a lot to us and to our audience. So thank you, Tim, for for your leadership. If you guys want to get in touch with me, it's at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. That is on Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, all the platforms. Um, please join us on Clubhouse. Please go check out GoTab. And Tim, uh, we really appreciate your time and we'll catch you guys all next week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. Cheers.